Well, good morning. We're so glad you're here. Let me just, uh, on the front end, just say if you're new around here, thanks for being here today. We absolutely love getting to serve here and love what God is doing here. If you're watching online, thanks for tuning in and being part of today. Uh, today, we are going to talk about marriages. And honestly, some of you, when you heard that, you're like, man, this is not for me. This is not the message. Some of you are, are looking for the one. So my history is I, I've done a lot of youth camps over the years. And so every time I would go and speak at a youth camp, there was always that obvious guy that came to camp just to find the one. Do you know what I'm talking about? All right, some of y'all were that way when you're in school. They, they show up at camp and they're like, are they the one? 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 Right now, I'll take any, right? And so they're on their way. And what's so funny in youth camp world is a lot of times, uh, students would travel hours and hours and hours in buses just to get to camp. And by the time they got to camp, some of them had already gotten into a relationship and broken up just on the bus ride to camp, right? And so they, they show up and they're sort of brokenhearted. And honestly, there's some of us in this room <clears throat> that when you see today's message title, talking about choosing great, there's sort of that question mark, is that really possible? Is it really possible to have a great marriage? Or is it even possible if you were to reduce that down a little bit, is it possible to have a good marriage? Is it possible to even have an okay marriage? And some of us in the room, maybe you're not even married, and maybe you're, you don't ever plan to be, or maybe you're still hoping that you will be. My hope is that today, that we'd get some handles around this, that regardless of how young you are, how old you are, regardless of what your relational status is, that today, as we think about family, as we think about marriage in particular, that God would do something inside of us. And so let me just pause. And as we start today, let me honor just uh, two folks in my life. The first is my parents, my parents, Larry and Nancy McGraw. Uh, they would have been married 45 years this year if my dad was still living. And so I found a uh, picture from their wedding. And what's fun, if you check out the picture on the screen, what's fun is my dad, or my mom is four foot 10. Think about that for a minute. Four foot 10. Do we have that slide? And my dad was six foot four. So his joke was when he got married, he's like, I, I wanted somebody small enough I could pick up and shake when I needed to. And I was like, dad, you can't say that, right? In today's culture, you can't say that. But in 72, uh, he could say that. So my, my parents would have been married 45 years. So my dad passed away almost 10 years ago. And I'm so grateful. They didn't have a perfect marriage, but they had a loving one. I'm so grateful. And then the second picture I want to show you is from my in-laws. So my in-laws just celebrated back in April 40 years of marriage. And so as a way of celebrating them over Labor Day, we went up to Gatlinburg and hung out with Laura's side of the family. And honestly, uh, it was cool. We got to hang out with them. But the one thing that her parents were most concerned about were if the dogs were going to be able to come along, right? Are the dogs going to be able to come? And so I just want to publicly honor them because they, again, aren't people that would say they have a perfect marriage, but they are people that have honored the Lord and through the ups and downs have seen God do something amazing. Let me just take a poll by show of hands. How many of you, before you got married, especially ladies, ladies, before you got married, how many of you grew up planning your marriage, had sort of this picture in your mind of the perfect marriage, the perfect mate, the perfect house, the perfect 2.5 kids, the perfect, how many of you had sort of a picture of what could be and should be? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Guys, how many of you had a picture of what marriage was gonna be like? I think if we'd all be honest, when you look around, marriages are in trouble. 
I mean, I, I did a lot of research leading up to today, and depending on what books you read, depending on what articles you look at, what research you look at, the stat is somewhere around 50% of marriages just don't make it. And what's crazy about that is we've sort of grown numb to that. We've sort of grown numb to that number that 50% of marriages don't make it, but, but if you were to take that number and apply it to any other area of your life, it would create a sense of urgency. Right? In any other area of your life, if you knew there was a 50% chance that it just wasn't work, that it wasn't going to go well, you would do something. Right, let me give you an example. So I, uh, this week, Pastor Chuck, Tripp, and I, uh, we lived on the edge and we ate gas station tacos. Can I get an amen over here? So good. Now, if I were to tell you there's a 50% chance that you're gonna end up in the hospital after eating there, would you go with me? Right, it sort of changes the odds a little bit. You're like, all right, maybe if there's a 70-30 kind of split on this thing, but if you're to say there's a 50% chance you're gonna end up in the hospital, you're probably gonna think twice about it, right? If you were to go to the North Georgia mountains and somebody told you there's a 50% chance that a bear is going to I was going to try to tone it down, but a bear's going to track you down and give you a bear hug, what would be the odds that you'd go? I mean, literally, if you walked out of your house and there was a 50% chance that you're going to get mauled by a bear, you would change, right? You'd rethink some things. If there were a 50% chance that you're going to be in a car accident today, you would do something different. You'd have helmets for all the kiddos. You would be driving five miles an hour, right? If there was a 50% chance in any other area of our life, we'd do something about it. Well, what I want to say today is that we can do something about our marriages. Whether you're married and it's strained, whether you hope to be married one day, maybe you're on the front end of marriage, there are some choices that we can make. There are some decisions that we can make ahead of time. There are some things that we can do differently that can make our marriages good and maybe even great. So if you have your Bibles, I'm gonna invite you to follow along with me. This all comes right out of Genesis chapter two. Genesis chapter two, I'm convinced that one of the reasons why we struggle so much in this area is because we're trying to do it like everybody else. We're just looking around us. Nobody really feels prepared for marriage. Nobody ever feels like they've got it all figured out. Nobody shows up thinking, man, I, I've got all of this figured out. Usually we just take the way that we were brought up. Usually we just take what we saw around us. Usually we just take our parents' family or some other family that we looked up to and we apply that to our lives. And sometimes it works well and sometimes it doesn't doesn't. And so today I want to say, let's learn from the one that created this thing. Let's look into the person who created this from the beginning, God himself, and see what he has to say about it. So if you have your Bibles, look at it. Genesis chapter 2, look at verse 18. It says, then the Lord God said, it is not good that a man should be alone. I will make him a helper that is fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens, and he brought them to man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the livestock, to all the birds of heaven, and to every beast in the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Today, we're going to talk about three decisions that any one of us can make. If you're on the front end of marriage, if you're on the back end, if you're somewhere in the messy middle, 
these are three decisions. The first decision is this. Number one, if you're a note taker, I'm going to invite you to write them down in your bulletin. But number one, you've got to choose the one. You've got to choose the one. There's got to be this moment where we go public with our decision. There's got to be this moment where we make a definitive decision about this thing. There's got to be a moment that we quit playing, for, for playing it safe, that we go on record and we choose the one. So here's what happens in Genesis chapter 2. Literally, God has created everything. And every time God creates something, he says, and it is good. And then he creates something else, and he says, and it is good. And then he creates something else, and then he says, it's good. And the first time God says something is not good is when he looks at Adam and he says, it is not good that man should be alone. This is the red flag, right? God created Adam. God created everything. Everything's good. And yet there was something missing. There was something uh, uh, disconnected inside of Adam. There was something that was longing. There was, some, there was some aspect of Adam's life that he was missing and that he wouldn't be able to fulfill all that God had for him on his own. And so God himself says in verse 18, it is not good that man should be alone and I will make him a helper fit for him. I'm gonna make him somebody that walks beside him. This is the same language used of God throughout scripture. When it talks about God walking alongside of us, aiding us in our weakness, God says, I'm gonna create somebody earthly that can do it. And then there's this amazing scene where God brings every single animal that he'd created by Adam for Adam to name it. I don't know about you, but for me, I've read that verse before and I think in my mind, it's just this quick moment, but can you imagine? every single animal coming by. This wasn't probably a day. This probably wasn't a weekend. This was not a, hey, this is gonna replace your binging on Netflix this weekend. This is a long period of time. So God literally brings every animal by and here they come by and here they come by. And at the end of all of that, there's this look of, wow, he got to call them whatever he wanted to. Yet at the end of all of that, there's something missing that every animal that's come by has a mate, every animal that comes by has a partner, every animal has somebody, has something, and yet for Adam, there's nothing suitable. And so God fixes that. Here's what it says in verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took out his ribs and he closed up the place with the flesh. Now there's a lot of debate on why God chose to do it this way. There's a lot of debate. Why did God do this? Did, did God get finished with Adam and look at Adam and go, well, I could do better, <laughs> right? I don't know. I don't know. But God chooses to create woman. And, and here's what it says, verse 22, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and he brought her to the man. And the man, verse 23 says, this at last is bone of my bones. This is flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And you see this beautiful picture. You see, man and woman, in the original language, it was ish and isha. These two things go together. They're made for one another. And so the moment that Adam sees her, Adam goes on record. Adam's like, man, all those other animals are great. They're going to make funny YouTube videos one day. But they are nothing in comparison to this woman. In fact, the old preacher joke is that when he saw her, he was like, whoa, man. Aren't preacher jokes the worst? 
I think there's like a secret handbook they give every pastor. Here's a cheesy joke you can use every, right? But literally Caesar and every other relationship pales in comparison. If you're a note taker today, I just wanna be super practical. I just wanna give you some tips. I don't claim to have this all figured out, but I do wanna take what I've seen and what God's done in our life. And so if you're taking notes underneath that first point to say, you know what, I'm gonna choose the one. I'm gonna go on record. Here's two pieces to that. A, we need to put out old flames. Very practically, if you wanna protect your marriage, if you wanna, if you wanna have a God on if you wanna have an amazing marriage, and I've never met anybody, I do premarital counseling, and I've never had a couple when I ask them, do you wanna have an unbelievable marriage? I've never had one say no. I've never had one say, ah, we just want, we're hoping for so-so. Everybody wants a great one. Well, great ones don't happen by accident. They happen by choice. And so this first choice of choosing the one, A, it means that we put out old flames. In other words, don't keep your options open. That's the danger of social media. I absolutely love social media. We try to leverage it as a church to pour into people's lives throughout the week. We recognize there's at least 167 hours you spend outside the church building. So how can we use things like apps and Facebook and all this stuff to invest? But here's the danger. The stats say that one third of divorces happen by something that started innocently enough on Facebook. I don't know if you remember back in the day, like 10 years ago on Facebook, the big thing was to poke somebody. Oh, they poked me. I'm going to poke them back. I'm going to, I'm going to poke them back, right? And then you end up friending somebody that you knew back in high school or in middle school, the one that got away, so to speak. And it starts out innocently enough. Hey, how are you doing? What, what's up with your life? And man, I'm telling you, it's a slippery slope because it starts out innocently enough, but one third of divorce is caused by social media because what starts out innocent can lead to inappropriate conversations. So I'm telling you, if you want a great marriage, the first decision, first part of this is A, put out your old flames. Your spouse must become the only source of romance in your life. The one that you've chosen must be the only outlet for your romance. By saying, I'm going to put out old flames, is saying, I'm going to eliminate any alternatives. I'm going to eliminate any backup plans. I'm going to eliminate any uh, second chances. So A, put out old flames, and then B, don't play with fire. Don't play with fire. Flirting seems fun. Getting the attention of somebody is fun. Everybody, I think, has this desire to connect and everybody has this desire to want somebody to recognize it. I'm saying, don't allow this to tempt you. In fact, if you wanna write down a phrase, here's the phrase that's been rattling in my head and my heart for the last couple of weeks. It's this one little phrase, burn the ships, burn the ships. I don't know if you've heard that phrase before, but it comes from 1519 when uh, the Spanish conquistador, conquistador Hernando Cordes landed in Mexico. He had basically a few hundred men. I think he had 11 ships with them and his plan was to seize the great treasures from the Aztecs. And so they show up in 1519. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna show up with the few men that we have and the few ships that we have and we're gonna try to get rich off of gold. Here's the problem. He knew the history of his people for the last six centuries is when they were in moments like this, when things got tough, they retreated. 
right? When, when they got close to the prize they were going for, they would run back to their ships, they would sail away. And so the moment that Hernando Cortez gets to Mexico, he turns to his guys and says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to burn our ships. They're like, what? Yeah, I want you to burn the ships. What do you mean burn the ships? I want you to burn the ships down to the ground. And his response to them was, if we leave on a ship, we're gonna leave on their ships. In other words, he's saying, we're 100% committed. And it was his way of saying, we're all in. It's his way of saying, there's no backup plan. There's not something I'm hiding back in the corner in case this doesn't work out. He made this public commitment to say, we're in. And so for any marriage to really thrive, there's gotta be that mutual commitment to say, we're in this thing together, 100%. I'm not keeping my options open. I'm not having any alternatives in mind. I don't have these little ships in different cities that I travel to. I am burning the ships. I am torching those past relationships. I'm torching those past. And sometimes people get offended. They're like, well, what do you mean I need to burn the ships? What do you mean I need to break off? Are you saying I need to un unfriend some people? Absolutely. Are you saying I need to delete some numbers from my phone? Absolutely. You know what I did when Laura and I started dating? I made a list of numbers and people that are blocked from my life. And somebody's like, what if you offend them? My number one responsibility is not for somebody else's happiness. It's not for some other person that I may never, ever, ever, ever see in my life. My number one commitment is to my wife. And so number one, if we're gonna have this kind of great marriage, it means we have to choose the one. Not only that, number two, if you're a note taker today, not only choose the one, but this plays right into choice number two, decision number two is to cheat the many, to cheat the many. Here, here's what happens. So God creates woman. Adam sees this woman. He's like, she's unbelievable. She's, she's the one. And so the moment he sees her, listen to what it says in verse 24. It says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. See that little word, leave. A man shall leave his father and mother. At the moment you said I do, every other relationship gets reconfigured. That word leave the father and mother comes from the Hebrew word azad, which literally means to loosen or to relinquish. It doesn't mean that we show up one day and we say to our parents, I don't love you anymore. It doesn't mean that we end up being jerks to them. It doesn't mean that we look at our father and mother and we disrespect them. But what it does mean at the moment we say I do, that the shift of our relationship goes from being parents first to now being spouse first. In fact, this point is all about two things. If you're a note taker underneath that second point, A, it's all about priorities, and then B, it's all about proper boundaries. That's what it means to cheat the many. So in all of our lives, there's a lot of relationships that we're gonna be in. We've got relationships with family members, extended family. We got relationships with coworkers. We got relationships with stakeholders. We've got clients in our life. We've got neighbors. We've got all of these relationships in our lives. And if we're not careful, we'll treat all relationships equal. We'll treat them like they all have the same access to us. And it's just not true. 
At the moment that this wedding takes place, God says, leave your father and mother. It's his way of saying, loosening that relationship, cleave to your spouse. And in that moment, your spouse becomes the number one person in your earthly life. So, hey, let me talk a little bit about priorities. Priorities is all about recognizing that all relationships aren't equal. In fact, when I talk about choosing the one, I almost called it choose the number two because really the one is God, right? If you're expecting a spouse, a mate, somebody to meet the needs that were only able to be met by God himself, you're setting yourself up for frustration. And so it starts with priorities, God first, right? If I'm gonna have the kind of wife, if I'm gonna have the kind of mate that, that God wants for my life, I gotta be that kind of person myself, right? I've gotta be growing in my relationship. So God first, secondly, is my spouse, right? My spouse is the most important earthly relationship. Then if you got kids, kids come third. Kids come third. Sometimes what happens over the years is that families get that out of order. In fact, Friday night, literally Friday night, I was about an hour away from here and I was talking to somebody that said, you know what, uh, we're recent empty nesters. Both of our kids have grown up and they're gone and we looked at each other and we don't even know each other anymore because their priorities got out of order. Here, here's a way to think about that. If you're a parent, your kids are a temporary assignment but your mate is a permanent assignment. Does that make sense? Right? If you're a parent, your kids are a temporary assignment. You've got them for 18, 19, 20, or maybe for some folks, 30 years. I don't know. I'm not prying. I'm just saying. But the hope is that one day they would launch out and they would live their own God-honoring lives and have their own God-honoring families, but your marriage is a lifelong commitment. So A, we've got to get priorities right, and then B, we've got to have appropriate boundaries. There's got to be some boundaries. There's got, got to be this idea of there's some things I will not do. There's some places I will not go. There are some people that I will not have allowed to have access in my life. I'm going to have right boundaries. There used to be this old phrase, and every time I say it now, people don't really get it, but it's this old phrase that says that good fences make good neighbors. Have you heard that before? It's this idea that you've got to have boundaries. In my house where, where we live, we love our neighbors. On either side of us, this is crazy. On one side of us, uh, the husband's name is Daniel. On the other side of us, the guy's name is Dan. We've got amazing neighbors. These guys are unbelievable. I love getting to hang out with them. But no matter how good our relationship is, I guarantee you if Daniel decided today, hey, while Bobby's gone from the house, I'm gonna take all of our trash and all of our recycling. I'm just gonna, just gonna empty it all around his yard. How awesome would that be? Right? Nobody get any ideas, right? But uh, man, if, if Daniel decided, hey, I, I, every Sunday, instead of taking our garbage to the curb for Monday pickup, I'm just gonna throw it in the McGraw's yard. That's gonna be great. After a while, that would get frustrating, right? He could be a nice guy the rest of the week, but man, if he kept doing that, there would be a problem, right? There's something about having good boundaries that, that when you, good, the idea of good fences make good neighbors is you know where your relationship stands. You know what is yours and where it stops. You know what is theirs and where it starts. And there's something that happens when there's clarity in our relationships that cause them to thrive. See, the reason why I think so many of us struggle with boundaries is because we don't have a clear picture of the priorities, right? At the moment, that we say I do, 
we have to renegotiate the boundaries. We renegotiate the lines and we say, you know what, I still love my parents, but my number one person I'm gonna turn to is my spouse. And even though I work 50, 60, 70 hours a week, the most important relationship is still my spouse, not my job. And even though, man, you love your kids and you want the best for them, the number one relationship is always your spouse because every kid wants to have parents that love one another. Every kid wants to live in a home where parents love each other because that gives them security and a foundation that's gonna go far beyond their time in the house. And so number one, choose the one. Number two, cheat the many. It's okay to cheat the other people. Choose the right people to cheat. And then finally, number three, cleave together. Cleave together. Verse 24 says, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That hold fast is where we get the old fashioned phrase to cleave together. It's this idea, the word cleave is this root, this word that comes from this idea of united, that we cling or adhere. And it also has this idea of pursuit in it. It's this idea that we keep pursuing one another. See, the thing that is true about us by nature is by nature, we pursue what we don't have. When you're just sort of dating, when you're just sort of flirting, it's intriguing to you because you don't have it yet. And so you keep trying, you keep trying, you keep trying. But what happens for too many couples is the moment they get the one, the pursuit is over for them, right? They quit pursuing. And so as God says, here's the nature, here's, here's what you're designed to do. You're to hold fast to your wife. You're to cleave, you're to pursue. Every one of us have silly pursuit stories of when we're dating, don't we? I mean, some of you remember the days of mixtapes. You made just the right mixtape for your date. Some of you remember before even Facebook, MySpace, and you had the top eight friends and you put that, that, that cutie up in the, t yeah, you know what I'm saying? We've all done silly things. When Laura and I first started dating, she lived uh, with her grandparents on the other side of coming, 45 minutes away. So I'd go drive to her house, drive to their house, pick her up. And then one of our favorites was to go down to Buckhead to a place called Nancy's Pizza. And it's like Chicago style pizza. They've moved now, but it was this, this really thick crust. And we'd go and being a guy, all I want is beef and bacon on my pizza. And being a girl, Laura wants spinach and black olives and green peppers and onions. And, and she'd rattle off like eight veggies. But here's what would happen. Nancy's was one of those places you'd order at the counter and then you'd go to your seat and they'd bring it out to you. Well, here's what would happen. We'd show up, Laura would tell me on her half of the pizza, she wanted all these veggies, like eight veggies. And then she'd go to the restroom and wash her hands or whatever. And so she was always gone by the time they rung it up. And literally while we're dating, every time we went to Nancy's Pizza, that one silly pizza was $38. $38. One of my friends heard about it. He's like, you should save your receipts in case it doesn't work out. Maybe you can get a reimbursement. I was like, that is, I probably won't say that when she's in the room next hour, but you know what I'm saying, right? $38. Why would I do that? Because that's what you do when you're pursuing somebody. And then finally, once we're married, we went back to Nancy's and I made sure she stood by me while I paid and she was paying attention. She's like, $38. I'm like, yes. I feel better just telling you all this now. This is cheaper than therapy. This is awesome. All of that to say, don't quit pursuing your one. Cleave together. Let me give you some practical ways because nothing gets better without pursuit. I've never met anybody that got 
physically healthier by accident. I never met somebody whose cholesterol went down just by eating more bacon, right? I've not, nothing happens for the better by accident. And so we need to do some things to pursue our mate. Here's the first one. A, it's time. Time. And if you're still in the workforce, if you think about it, you've only got four or five hours a day at home during the waking hours, and that is split up with home chores and all this other stuff. So you have got to get really intentional about carving out time for your spouse. Man, I would say if you're able to do it, try to block out one date night a week. Some of you are already telling me it can't be done. We got our schedule. I'm just saying, what gets scheduled gets done. And what happens for too many of us is we don't make the priority of our mate. And so it never gets scheduled and therefore it never gets done. Maybe you can't do once a week right now. Maybe you could start with once a month. Maybe you're like, man, but we got all these kids. That's one of the reasons why you should be in a small group. So that you can say to one of your small group members, hey, watch our kids tonight, we gotta go out, right? And it doesn't have to be fancy, it doesn't have to be expensive, it could be Netflix, it could be setting up a tent in the backyard, it could be a sack full of crystals, I don't care what it is, it's carving out time. So it starts with time. In fact, I asked this question on Facebook and somebody put a comment that said that if you don't date your spouse, someone else will. It's like, ouch. A, time. B, talk. Talk. In every relationship, there's one person that's the talker, and then the other person is the guy. <laughs> Generally. When you go on date night, turn the phone off. Put it face down. Leave it at home, God forbid. But talk. And some part of talking is to be an active listener. And one of the things I've had to learn as we're talking is anytime Laura would share something, I would go into guy mode, let's fix this thing, let's fix this thing. And so finally now I've learned to sort of try to gauge, does she want me to fix this or to feel this with her? You see what I'm saying? So time, talk, and here's the third one, touch. Touch, proximity, being together in the same room. Intimacy is all about emotional warmth and closeness. Now, some of you have already gone there with touch, but guys, if you're taking notes, let me give you a new word to write down. Guys, this is especially for you underneath that third point, non-sexual touch. Some guys are like, what? Touch that doesn't go anywhere. The pat on the back, the arm around the spouse while you're watching TV, the the hug just for no reason, just to say, I love you. And man, one of the most powerful things I've seen happen in the lives of many people is when they say, you know what? I'm gonna go on record, they're the one. I'm gonna renegotiate every other relationship in my life because they're the one forever. I'm gonna keep pursuing them. I'm gonna become an expert of my spouse because they're the one. And as you do that, as you begin to see that they're the one, it causes the relationship to begin to flourish. See, sometimes we think that love is like this hole to fill in when I believe it's a decision that we make, that we make this decision, even when I don't feel like they're the one, even when I don't feel like showing them unconditional love, they're the one. I'm gonna make a choice and over time, that choice is gonna dictate my feelings. I'm gonna make this choice. Let me close with this. 
if you knew that the car that you have now would be the last car you would ever own? That the car you have now is gonna be the car you drive for the rest of your life. You're not gonna be able to upgrade it. You're not gonna be able to trade it in. You're not gonna be able to get the dents popped out of it. This is the last car you're ever gonna own. Would that cause you to treat it differently? Would it cause you to drive it differently? Would it cause you to do maintenance on it differently? If this was the last car you're ever gonna own, I guarantee you some things would change. Now you might think of it in a negative way. Well, I'm gonna have this really old car one day. Or you might realize that when you take care of what you have, it becomes known as a classic. And at the end of our lives, we're gonna have a story to tell. And we could talk about all the times that we traded in or we discounted what we had. Or we could tell the story that when we knew to put our spouse first and we figured this thing out, we've got a beautiful story we can tell. Would you bow your heads for a moment? Would you close your eyes? And today I just wanna pray for us and I just wanna acknowledge in a room this size, man, there's all kinds of emotions going on right now. There's some people that are like, man, I, I know I've made some mistakes and my hope is not condemnation today. My, my, my assignment is hope. That when we know better, we can do better, that none of us have arrived. I haven't, none of us have arrived, but that we would become intentional, that we'd start making decisions based on what matters most. So as we pray today, I would just ask you to ask this question, how is your marriage really? What's it like to be married to you? And what I would remind you as you pray that, as you think through that, that your present circumstances don't determine where you go, they just determine where you start from. And so it could be that you say today, from this point on, I'm gonna start by putting all this in the proper priority. Maybe for you it's to say, man, I, I don't know where to start, but I can do a date night this month. I, I, I can do that. Or maybe for some of you, it's like, man, I, I, I'm, I need to get my relationship with Jesus right. I'm gonna start there. Or maybe it's, man, I need to set up some time to chat with somebody that's been married longer than I have further down the road. And so I, I don't know what that is, but would you begin to say today, God, I wanna live this intentionally. In fact, as I pray, is there anybody that would just say, Bobby, would you pray for me? I wanna have that kind of marriage. I wanna have that kind of relationship. Maybe you're still single and you're like, man, while I've got margin, while I've got time, I wanna build these habits into my life. Maybe you've been married a long time or you're married again. You'd say, man, I, I, I wanna do this God's way. I wanna have God's priority, God's way. If that's you and you'd allow me to pray for you this morning, very quietly, would you just slip your hands straight up in the air, straight up in the air, just a way of saying, yeah, would you pray for me? Father, I thank you for these friends in this room. I thank you there's a place that we can come to talk about things that matter and are so important. So Father, I pray that today you would help us to have hope that our marriages could be good and even great. That you would help us to see that they become great by the choices we make. Help us to choose well. And God, when we blow it, when we mess up, help us to start over again. Help us to start over again. God, I pray for the marriages that are represented in this home, in this room, that you would strengthen them even today. God, would you give them hope and peace? 
And God, for those that aren't married but hope to be one day, would you help them to begin to build these habits into their life? The kind of habits you'd honor. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to stand and the team's going to sing us out of here. But I want to tell you about a couple of resources real quick. One is tomorrow on my blog, I'm going to list several books and resources I use to prepare for today. Man, uh, we had a hundred and something comments on Facebook with great advice. I, I read probably four or five books, listened to a ton of messages. And so I want to give credit to that and give you some resources that you can go to. And so it'll be on my blog tomorrow. The website is just yourbetterstory.com, yourbetterstory.com. So if you check that out tomorrow, I'll have those linked and ready for you. And then uh, the second thing I wanna tell you about is the simple idea of having a date night. It doesn't have to be fancy. You don't have to be the most romantic devil in the room. You just have to initiate it. And so if you need a tip, if you wanna take the challenge to say, hey, by the end of the month, we're gonna have a date night. I wanna invite you to text the word date, right? Just the, the word D-A-T-E to the number 770-749-7559. Just text the word date to 770-749-7559. And when you do that, you'll get a link that's got a PDF that gives you a great idea for a date this month. And then the last thing I wanna mention, and then we'll stand and pray and the team will sing us out of here is that in uh, a little over a week, I'm gonna do a Facebook live gathering. It's, I think it's gonna be on Tuesday night, a week from this Tuesday, Tuesday week. And really it's just gonna be some practical follow-up to this message. Cause honestly, there, we could talk about this weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And so since I can't have all of you over to my house around dinner, though that'd be fun, uh, we can do that virtually. And so if you're interested in that, I will have information on the blog tomorrow where you can sign up to be on the list that gets alerted about that as well. Cool? Let's stand together today. And in a moment, the team's gonna sing and lead us out of here. If you're new, I'd love to meet you in our meet and greet room to the side. If you've been around here a while and you've been wrestling with all this, my hope is that you'd leave with courage, that you'd leave encouraged that things can be good, and that things can be great because the ultimate person that models relationship is Jesus himself. And Jesus, was, when he was on this earth, could have said, everybody serve me, serve me, serve me. But instead, Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but I came to serve to give my life for many. May we live that way this week. God bless you guys. Hope you have a great, great week. We look forward to seeing you back here Sunday and look forward to seeing you on the blog tomorrow. Have a great rest of your day.